Montreal's Collective, welcome to Voices from the Collective, a podcast coming to you from the mouth of the East Coast in upstate New York. I'm your host, Ellie Pell. This episode is with Genevieve Harrison, a runner from Eagle, Colorado, who placed second at the Leadville 100 mile in 2021. I've gotten to know Genevieve a bit when I was fortunate enough to become one of her on-running teammates this past spring. Genevieve is a mother, wife, and in a past life, an organic farmer, but now she coaches, so check that out. Not only is she proficient at long ultra races, but just today, as of recording this, she placed, well, I guess I should tell you what day it is. It's July 16th. She placed second at the Brighton Cirque Series which is a six-mile rugged mountain race. So what can't this lady do? This episode is brought to you in part by Gnarly Nutrition. My ice cream habit has gotten a bit expensive lately, so I decided to shake it up and instead make a protein shake for dessert before I go to bed. Having a higher protein snack before sleep has been shown to boost recovery and repair muscles from training stress. I'm not exactly training so much right now, but I still think having more nutrients in my diet is helping me recover from this summer's races. Gnarly protein powder is delicious and has ingredients my body absorbs and uses. Bonus, I don't get overly full from drinking the protein before bed, so that helps my sleep and digestion. I want you to try it too, so use the code TRAILSCOLLECTIVE, that's one word, for 10% off. Click my referral link in the show notes. All right. Let's get right into this episode with Genevieve Harrison. Genevieve, welcome to the Voices of the Collective podcast. I'm very excited to have this have this conversation, this long overdue conversation. A couple of hiccups that happen, you know, with uh, service because Genevieve lives in the beautiful mountains. I don't have that problem. So, uh, you know, we always got service down here on the roads. But um, anyway, thank you for joining me. Uh, how are you? I'm doing really good. Yeah, I just dropped the kids off at their grandma's house. So I've got a couple hours here without kids. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. So where are you coming to us from? Um, I'm in Eagle, Colorado. So just west of Vale and all those ski resorts. Did you grow up there? No, I actually grew up in Ohio. And then um, my family moved out to Leadville like, I guess it was probably 15 years ago and, um, went to CSU out here in Fort Collins and I've stayed and <laughs> never went back. You know, now yeah. Ohio is like, can you become this hot spot for running? Because you know, Arlen, he's blowing it up and he just got third at Western. So, I mean, like, who knows, maybe in a couple of years, you'll be like, I need to move back to the homeland. Yeah, I doubt it, but <laughs> I'll go, I'll go visit family, but I think I'm here for a while. Yeah. I love living out here and the kids, the kids love Eagle. Eagle is like a perfect place to raise children and they just bike everywhere. Small town vibe with the big mountains really close by. So we really, we really enjoy living here. About how far are you from like, what's your local mountain range, I guess, or local trail? 
Yeah. Um, the Gore Range is really close by. So that's like, you know, I can get up there. I can wake up like at 5 a.m. and, you know, go do a 5,000 foot mountain and a couple climbs and be back by 1030. So it's not too far. Vail's like 30 minutes away. Um, and then we have, a, we have an awesome trail system in Eagle too. And it's kind of, they're, they're, the trails are kind of made for the bikes, but you know, there, there's still a lot of miles out there. Well, so can you explain a little bit the difference between a biking trail and a running trail? Cause I would think that biking trails would actually be like a little bit less technical. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, no, not out here. It doesn't seem that way. Um, a lot of times the bike trails get a little ruddy. So, um, I'm trying to, you know, like those water, the, the water drains on roads, you know, how they kind of like squirt, like the semicircle, uh-huh. um, that's kind of what they become. <laughs> and so they're a little bit harder to run on, but yeah, I mean, the, the bike trails out here are amazing. So I use them for running all the time. But yeah. Definitely I, mean, I recently discovered a, a local, uh, biking, like it's very popular for mountain bikers. Um, and I was like, I mean, and the thing is, is like, they're also like, they built like cool rock bridges over the, over the, um, like, I guess the muddy sections and stuff. So I was like, this is actually yeah. kind of nice. Like these trails are nice and groomed. I kind of like this, like, no. And then also yeah. what's kind of nice about having a local biking system is like, they also help take care of the trail. So like, you know, I was, I've been thinking a lot about trail work and how I can somehow try to fit that into my life. And, um, I have like, at least here in Ithaca, I know other people are like the worst are mountain bikers, but, uh, they're, do, they do pretty well with helping with the trail maintenance. So that's always good. Yeah, definitely. The, the trail coalitions around here are pretty strong as well. And, um, we wouldn't have them without them. So they definitely maintain them and keep them up to date. The trails actually in Eagle close, most of them close in the winter time for elk, um, for the animals, mainly elk. Um, and that's pretty cool, I think. So, and then they open up, you know, for the summer and spring. Yeah. Our trails are just icy and muddy. Like nobody even want, like you wouldn't want to go there. Like they don't, I mean, I guess they're closed, then you, but you could technically still go on them, but we're like, why we would die. I don't know. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we don't have long extended yeah. climbs, but there are a lot of drop-offs in those choppy climbs. And you're like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So right now you are like coach, professional ultra runner, uh, my on teammate, which I'm very, very, uh, lucky to have you and a mom and, you know, you're doing a lot of, a lot of cool stuff, but, um, bring me back to growing up in Ohio. I mean, what, what, what was the, um, activity of choice for you? And I mean, it doesn't have to be running. It can be like, I played piano, you know, or like stuff like that. So take me back there. Uh, I, my mother would have really loved had I played piano. She was a pianist. Um, <laughs> I didn't gravitate towards that. Uh, so I guess the activity of choice in Ohio was triathlon. I, I quickly learned, I guess, maybe fifth grade that I loved athletics. I loved the long distance sports, uh, but it was mainly in triathlon. Um, and th- so through middle school and uh, high school, I always did that. And um, I was actually on the junior um, uh, USA tri-team. So I did, you know, I was that 
<laughs> awkward teenager that would get up early, swim, and then go to school, and then bike, then run, and it was just my, it was kind of my whole life um, at that time, and I, I loved it, but when I got into college, I, I quickly decided that I, I wanted to put my energy towards my studies, and I kind of quit all competition at that point. Um, and I think, I think that's the story of a lot of young athletes uh, when they push it too hard when they're young. Um, and that was definitely mine. So I kind of decided that competition wasn't really for me at that point. And um, I quit triathlon, quit cross country and just went to college. And I think that was a really good choice because I've kind of come into ultra running later in life and I come to it, I feel like a pretty well-rounded person. Um, and yeah, but Ohio is great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So the triathlon scene is big in Ohio. Like, how did you get into the, Like, how did you get into that? Um, so my dad did triathlons. Uh, so that's, I guess, how I was first introduced to them. And I would always watch the Ironman with him. And because they always filmed the Ironman in Hawaii, the Kona one. And um, I would always watch it. I just thought it was the coolest thing that people would be dragging their legs across the finish lines. And um, just the stories that of the people racing that race, uh, I was really intrigued. And so, but the triathlon scene is, the sprint distance is pretty popular in Ohio. Um, so you can find a race every weekend if you wanted. And that's kind of what I did. And then I got recruited onto the US junior team and started racing for them and came out here a couple times a year to the Olympic training center and raced with the team. And I mean, it was all very over, like I look back at it now at 35 and I, it was all very overwhelming at the time. And um, yeah, it was a lot at, for that age, but I had, a, I learned a lot and I, I come from a pretty good solid base of, of knowing how to train and when to not train and things like that. It does sound like a lot. I mean, it's been a very interesting learning curve for me this year and how like I always when I get home from traveling, I feel so overwhelmed and just a little bit like I'm so glad that I get to be in my own house in my own kitchen. And I remember like I mean, but also being a professional athlete, like you get these awesome opportunities and you're like, I mean, for me, this could be like this. I call it my two year experiment. Like I might be done in two years, you know, so like I might never get this opportunity again. But like, you know, um, coming home from California or from Oregon, I just feel this like, no, even though it's like a month and a half away, I can't go to this like opportunity with on because it's just so much and I can't go. And I just, I won't, it's just too much. And I can't, and I mean, like I'm an adult, like I'm 30, I can handle a lot. And usually it's like lack of sleep and just like, I just need to be like recharge my batteries. And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. Um, but I can imagine as a kid, you know, doing all of that and handling that. Um, so what was like the lead to, I mean, you said it was like to focus on studies, but what was really going on where you were like, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly, like going to these races is not just about the race. There's a lot of anxiety behind everything, um, whether it be, you know, staying in a different bed or traveling there, um, just being away from your comfort zone. I'm pretty introverted at times and I need that space. And I, I don't think at that, you know, middle school, high school 
early college age, you understand how to deal with those types of anxieties or those types of um, challenges the way that you do when you're you know, my age, 35. And I, I was overwhelmed. You know, the, the, I loved working out. I loved training. I loved pushing myself to my limit. Um, the competition side of it was a little tricky for me. Um, learning how to be competitive with other people was kind of a, something that was really hard at that age. Um, I wasn't super comfortable with that piece of it. And I just felt at the time that I, I couldn't do it. And I, you know, I look back at my 21, 22 year old self and I'm proud of her for saying, no, I'm done. Um, it just felt overwhelming. I, I don't know if I can put a very good um, reason to that other than what I just said, but um, now that, you know, I'm kind of doing a very similar thing in a different sport, you know, a couple of decades later or a, de a decade later, um, I feel just way more able to handle those extremes and being able to, pack up and leave this weekend I'm going to Utah for the surf series race you know yeah I still have those feelings of anxiety I'm about to race I need to perform I, I'm away from my home I'm away from my family um so I'm still dealing with all those things but I I feel like I have the tool set to understand how to come back from that mm -hmm. yeah I think we have a similar story in that I played one year of collegiate volleyball and I think my, like, there's no one reason, right? I mean, and there's a, a lot of factors that go into why we might stop. So like for me, it was, I was starting, I was really feeling a lot of mental health issues at that time. I also like, I knew that I just wasn't willing to do the work anymore to be competitive at that level. Um, I came from like, I was really good in high school and then just, I was losing like sort of my just passion for wanting to do it anymore. And then that, and that made, and I just wasn't, I've never been a natural at anything. So like, I have to work really hard if I want to be good at something. And so mm -hmm. I think I just wasn't willing to do that. And then, uh, I wasn't, you know, you're, figuring things out. And I was thinking about transferring and all those kind of issues. And so it's like a lot of things came together where I can't be like, Nope, that was the switch. And I just decided not to play volleyball anymore. It was more like, there was a lot of stuff going on. And like, I just, it was time to stop. And like, I still love volleyball, but it was just for me naturally in that environment. I was just like, I don't want to do this right now. And I'm really glad actually that I came to our sport later because I think that if I had grown up in, at least in the culture, like we got lucky, right? Like we didn't have the social media crap, like as much. Um, but I think that even if we didn't just my personality, probably our similar personality, like, like we would have burnt out on running and it's would suck because that's something that we enjoy so much now. And it's a sport we can enjoy our whole life. But I definitely know, like if I had experience running, like I did with volleyball, I probably wouldn't be doing it. Oh, for sure. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And at that age, you just don't, you're, you're not able to take, you're not able to do it all. You know, this is like the time when you're you're coming into your own and figuring out who you want to be in this world and how you want to participate in our society. And with all those other, with competition put into that, you know, that bucket and 
uh, traveling and all those things, it's just really hard to navigate at a young age. So I, I do, you know, I, I am also very happy that I came into this a little later. Sometimes I feel old in this sport, especially with the, you touched on social media. I didn't have social media until after my second child um, was born. And I remember going into a local coffee shop. I mean, I, I had Facebook, but not Instagram. I went to a local coffee shop and I asked one of the young girls to tell me how to post something. I just had no idea what I was doing. And so navigating that world right now is, you know, enough in itself for me. Um, so I do feel for some of these young athletes that are doing all of that. Yeah. I think it's a lot like, and I think, cause it seems like, you know, for probably for our jobs, like you're coaching and doing all that stuff. Like there are a lot of balls to juggle in the air. Um, and I think now, especially maybe in our old age, we're just getting a little bit better at like prioritizing one thing maybe. And then also just like letting go of like, maybe I have to respond or I have to check that email, you know, like just having a little bit more like, it's okay. Like, I know I have to post for on this month, but like, I, I will do it. I just, I don't need to do it right now. <laughs> right. And organizing yourself for success has been my key with two kids and they're both at home. They're not in preschool yet. And, or one of them is a couple of days a week during the school year, but yeah, ocean and Coco are home with me all the time. So I have to figure out how to you know, training and working and all of that with them. And it, it does get confusing with the, you know, all the social media and it, it kind of pauses your life for a second when you have to look down at your phone and respond. And uh, it's, I look at it more as a game, like mm-hmm. I'm playing a game and yeah. um, the important stuff is not that. And so, you know, I've had situations where that social media piece has really, you know, triggered some either anxiety or, you know, bad feelings about myself or, you know, whatever it is. And I've really had to learn how to just put that boundary up of this is such a game and I'm willing to play it because I really love the sport, but what's important is not this. Yeah, I love that. I definitely am like, I'm just playing this game for a little while and we're going to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for me, it's like, I mean, cause I manage like my own personal Instagram and then, which we recently had to turn it into a like professional account. And I was like, what? (laughs) But uh, no. And then I also do the trust collective. And so it's funny because like I, the worst thing for me mentally was like, scrolling through things that I didn't really like. So, but, so I sort of like ended up putting time restrictions on things. And then also just always only having the messaging app up because like, by the time I get done, probably for you too, responding to messages and maybe like having to post something for one of the things I don't have any more time left in my allotted time to scroll. So I'm like, Oh, sorry. And so <laughs> it's been a lot better for my mental health. I know it's like, it's hard. Cause I, I, uh, it's just, I don't have enough time left. And that's just kind of a, a thing, you know? I mean, I love like meeting people and responding to messages. Like that's what I like, but all the other stuff I'm like, uh, eh, you can take it out. Like, I don't care. <laughs> you, ha- you have to f- figure out how you're willing to play that game and uh, what fits in your life and what, you know, what values are important to you. And, you know, that I'm just looking at my phone over here. Just it's, 
you know, it's a, it's a piece of technology that's very useful and it can get you so far, but what, what's important to me is not, not that. So, and it, it does get a little tricky when you're, you know, you're building a, you're, you're helping to build a brand and you're helping to build a sport and you're so willing to do those things. It just gets a little tricky. So you really definitely have to put your boundaries up where they're needed. And, and I don't see my 21 year old self able to do that. So I do feel for some of the younger athletes. I, I see my 35 year old self able to do that though. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was recently thinking about this just this morning because like there's just discussion and banter on Twitter about like, would it be better for more professional athletes to go all in? Like a lot of us do have full-time jobs. And the thing is, is like, I was listening to a podcast with Claire Gallagher this morning and she like put it into words that I just somehow couldn't formulate, but was working around in my brain. That was like, um, if you are a full-time athlete, like you basically just signed a marketing job. Like that's like what you're going to do. That's what you're doing. And I mean, to me, I like, that sounds terrible. I'd rather just go to a nine to five. Like, (laughs) you know, so it's like where you are still like have your nine to five job. It's just now it's like marketing. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. I I think that's well put. Um, I really respect her as well and what she's, you know, put out there in this um, ultra world, but yeah. And how much marketing am I able to do with two little kids in a job? You know, it's just, mm-hmm. you just have to be organized and, and yeah, really and put, just remember we're doing our best. Yeah. You're doing your best. Yeah. yeah. You're doing your best and that's all you can do. So I was really curious when you said your mom was a pianist because mm-hmm. my mom was a seamstress and like you, I did not take to her like profession joy. Like I couldn't sit still threading that needle. I was like, I don't, this is silly. Like I can't, it took me like, I used to be in 4-H and it took me like, we, we, all we had to do was make like a pillowcase. And it took me like four months just because I never wanted to do it. Um, and so, and it's interesting also too, like you say, your dad did triathlon. Like the first time I remember being exposed to running was watching my dad, like run up and down the street. And so I wonder like, what is it that maybe you took after your dad more than your mom in in this way? Yeah. In this way. Yeah. My parents were both runners. My mom started in college, but my dad had kind of always taken to running and triathlon. Um, I really loved the fact that my mom was very musical um, and she was very disciplined. I just, I tried playing piano. (laughs) I tried really hard. It just wasn't for me. I love movement, not just of my fingers, but of or my brain, um, but of my full body. And I've just always kind of taken to those full movement type things, whether it be hiking or running or triathlon, you know, it, that just, it came easier to me. Um, running especially has always just very, very much been a meditation sport for me as well, regardless of being a part of a team or, you know, doing well in ultra or whatever it is, I will always run. Um, if I can, and I'm so lucky that I can, um, it's just been such a great friend to me in my life. And I'm really, really happy that they, my parents were able to give, you know, help give me that, um, at a young age, because it has helped me through some really hard stuff. Um, and I hope to do that to my, you know, give that to my children as well without pushing it on them. Um, 
but yeah, I just never took to uh, the piano, but she was really good at it. She was, uh, yeah, she, she could play a piano. Yeah. My mom could sew. She made her own wedding dress. Like, I mean, and if I ever get married and it fits me, like I'll probably wear it. Like, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I don't even care how it looks that it's from like the seventies. I just like, you made this, you know, your work is in there. Yeah. Did you ever feel like a little bit, um, kind of like your mom wished that you took to what she liked to do? Um, oh gosh. Yeah. Yes. And no, my mom had a love for piano that I, I couldn't relate to. Um, I don't think she was ever pushy in that direction towards me. Like she, she offered the opportunity, which I did not take. (laughs) Um, but she was really good about not pushing that on me. Um, my sister was more so the, the musical one of the family and, um, I felt a bit relieved I'm one of five kids, so each of us could have our our things and and not be pushed in a direction. But um, now that I'm older, I really wish I could play the piano. <laughs> just a great skill. Yeah. I mean, my two coworkers, they're just so musical, but they also are just like polymaths and like jacks of all trades. Like they're just brilliant children, like not even children. They're not children anymore, but when I met them, they were children. Um, they're like one just graduated high school, one's graduating college. And I just like, look at them and I'm just like, wow. Like you, like if I had like an inch of your, like a, like polymath, like anything, I would just like, I would, I don't, I feel like I would just like play instruments all the time or like, I don't know, like it just, they do a lot of things and it's, a, it's incredible. And, um, but I, it's not like I want to be them. It's more like, that's awesome. Like, you know, like, um, but you know, we are the way we are and that's the way it is. I don't have much more time in my life to play instruments. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually listen. So my mom passed away, um, after my daughter Ocean was born and, um, I'll still, we'll be listening to music in the house and I'll still hear some, a song, you know, she was a classical pianist. So I'll hear, you know, Bach or Beethoven play and um on the radio or and I'm and I recognize certain pieces that she played just over and over and over my room growing up was right above the piano room and I just like it brings back so many memories music is an incredible thing like the way that it transform or transports you to a different time when you had heard it um so I still get that piece of her you know when I hear music and Mm -hmm. that's kind of the way she, you know, that's, that's where she is in this world right now. She's in that musical realm. (laughs) Yeah. Like my mom also has like little, like there are just little things that remind me of her, which is, this is kind of a funny story from Western States. So my mom right now, she has a boutique and she, she likes, she's a shopper. Like she, and she finds cute little things just because she's somebody that still goes to the thrift store just to look around, you know? And so, um, she like in in middle school or even like if she sees something that like she just thinks of me or whatever it's like a little little like trinket or whatever like I like she gives it to me it's cute and she hasn't she hasn't done it for like a long time um but it but it makes me think of her right so we're in western states like in airbnb like the night before the race and my mom knows also like was in contact with one of my crew captains Anne, and she and Anne has become like a second mom to me and so I go into my room 
And I see on the pillow, this like note that says like, just keep swimming. You are fearless. You can do it. And it says like, I thought it said from mom. Cause it looked like that. And I just like burst out and crying. Cause I haven't like, I just was like, oh my God. She's like, I'm thinking she sent this to Anne and told Anne what to do. And like, so I call my mom in tears. Like, thank you so much. Like the night before Western States, I'm just like losing it. And my mom is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, honey. Do you have a second mom? And then you could tell she was getting upset. And I was like, no, no, I don't. It just, I look, and then I look closer and it says from Anne. And I was like, oh my God, like, my mom would do that. Like she's done it before, like before the Olympic trials or before my first ultra or like whatever, just like, and it's really random. There's no rhyme or reason. It'll be like two years and she'll do it. And like, or then like six months or whatever. And so I was like, this is something my mom would do. That's so nice. You know? And I, so I just burst out tears. It was a big misunderstanding, but it was great. Cause my mom was like, Oh, I'm so thankful that like you thought of me. And it was, Oh yeah. But little things in our parents in the background, probably like, who is this Anne person? Taking I know. Over? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 she's not like, she'll never replace you. Like, no, you know? Um, so yeah, just kind of funny story. Like, you know, things that our parents just remind us of them and, you know, just, it gave me like, you know, some more spirit and just like, we're in the day I'm more contemplative and it's just, yeah. That's cute. I like that. <clears throat> I wanted to do with my life. Um, I love gardening. I love working with soil and, you know, ultra running is actually is it's very similar to farming. Like, it's just a lot of hard work. You're just out there for a long day working hard and, you know, on the land. Um, and I just, I love that type of work. Um, so I, I moved around a bit working on different farms and it, I gained a lot of knowledge, but it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I could do for a career. Um, and so I went back to school and got a license in teaching and I taught for a couple of years too in there. Um, and yeah, I've, I've always just, you know, followed the heart and trying to figure it out. You know, I like that. Uh, I grew up on a farm, so that scared me from ever wanting to farm. <laughs> I respect it so much. Like my older brother works on the farm. Like it's very like, and I respect my dad because he like built the farm out of nothing. Very respectful, but Oh Lord. I just like, I can't, I, I am not built for that. I don't think, um, unless there was somebody with me, like, I don't know if I could just go through the whole day without like talking to somebody. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I have that I issue worked on a, a few different farms, <laughs> like, <laughs> with, you know, more interns and more people around, but, um, no, I, I think gaining respect for the land and understanding where food comes from is super important. And I know you're really into that as well. I just, you know, it's, I have such a respect for, you know, growing what you eat. And though I'm not great at that with kids now, um, I try to be better. Yeah. So what, can you explain sort of the major difference between like conventional farming and organic farming, at least in the sense of what you were doing? Yeah, so I worked on smaller CSA farms, community supported agriculture, where people could buy into the farm like a share. Um, and then in return, they would receive boxes of food. Um, and those are the types of farms I worked on. Um, I did work on a vineyard for a while as well. Um, but yeah, so it's more of a collective. Uh, the people that are part of the CSA also have volunteer hours where they can come in and help. Um, and so you're, you're growing a lot of different types of things as well. Um, it's not just like a monocrop um, type situation. And 
you really learn about soil health and what grows well with other things. And um, yeah, I, I, I learned a ton. It was awesome. Because um, um, I kind of grew up in the valley of corn and cow. <laughs> Yeah. You grew up like right there. Yeah. You were yeah. like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's like one thing that you remember, I guess, like a story from like working in organic farms that just, you remember like, that was really funny or like, that was so much like fun. That. Or I learned so much from that. There's a lot of stories from that time period of my life. Um, but I guess the funniest one that just came to mind when you asked that question was I, <laughs> I lived on a farm in Mississippi for a while and um, we didn't have a bathroom in our house. We had an outhouse outside that didn't have a door. Um, but so we grew, we grew some cover crop that would grow really tall. And instead of, instead of building a door for some reason, <laughs> I guess that's the funniest story. Um, I, yeah, you know, a lot of these farms just brought in some very spirited, fun people that wanted to learn about our earth and, each farm had its own personality, uh, but that farm in Mississippi probably had it, the largest personality. It, it was, you know, we were right in, right in the, right in all of it. Like it just, it was fun. Yeah. I feel like, so we had an, so my dad ran a conventional farm, but then around the corner we had, there was a really nice, like organic farm. And it's really interesting to see like the, per- the personalities. Cause some, like the husband was like really eccentric, but the wife was just like super chill. She was like, yeah, we just sort of do this. Like she wasn't like an activist or anything like, and I think that's cool. Like just doing your thing, you know, what you're doing is great and you like it. But like the husband would be the one that was like telling you all the, like our soil is this or whatever. And the wife was just like, you know, whatever we just do this. It's kind of fun. I mean, but then she wasn't like anything like you could tell because she would also where I would was working as a as a teenager was like this ice cream store and she would always come down there and like she, she wasn't like a pure food evangelist or anything she would have like whatever we had so it was just it's kind of cool you know like people that you know you a lot of times I think there's this stereotype of like oh organic farmer they must also like wash their sheets down by the river and like no <laughs> electricity or like whatever but like it's that's so not and I really loved like bursting those stereotypes <laughs> Oh, for sure. I think the farm in Mississippi really hit the stereotype well. And that's, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't really how I wanted to live the rest of my life, but it was, it was really fun living there for the time I did. Um, and having an organic farm in Tupelo, Mississippi was, was in itself fun just to teach, you know, all people. It wasn't there when I was there, you know, that wasn't, that type of farm wasn't there. So it was, it was really neat. Um, but then I came back out to Colorado and landed in Buena Vista, like we said, at Weathervane Farm, which was an incredible place to work and um, very different personality of farm, very put together and um, was very much part of the community. So. Mm-hmm. so you stop organic farming and you get married, you have some kids and then you decide to run Leadville. Was, so take us like, well, no, then last year you got second at Leadville. So take us from like trail running, having kids starting to actually train and then where we are today. Okay. So my parents bought a house um, in Leadville when I was in college, like I said, about 15 years ago. Um, So their house is on the Leadville course on the boulevard, the last two miles of the course. Um, So I had, 
I had lived around that race for a while um, and knew of it and thought it was crazy and saw people, you know, slugging up the boulevard every year in August. And, you know, of course I caught the bug. It was just like, I, I want to do that. It's like my parents' backyard. Um, and so I, I did try Leadville a couple of times in DNF. Uh, I had no clue what I was doing. I had very little understanding of what needed to happen during that race. Um, and, and then in 2017, I did finish Leadville in 28 hours and 40 something minutes. And that night I found out I was pregnant, um, with my first child. So bring the pregnancy test to the race or what was that about? So at the time I lived out here, so I, I knew something was going on during the race. I was like, this is either, you know, what you experienced during an ultra or this is something bigger and like pregnancy. <laughs> and my husband and I at the time were trying, but I didn't know I was pregnant. Um, and so that night I was like, I'll just see. And I was pregnant, you know, as early on, it was like eight weeks, but I definitely don't advise running on ultra pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always tell my daughter Ocean that she can run Leadville too, uh, <laughs> which is kind of a fun story. But um, I, after that race, you know, I wanted to come back and do Leadville again with a, you know, a better opportunity of getting the time that I desired, which was at the time sub 24. And so last year I, you know, I had a, another kid in those between the years of 2017 and, you know, 20. 2021 and I I went for it I was like this is the year I'm just I'm gonna train I'm gonna do what it takes and um and learn a lot and go for it and my goal was sub 24 hours on that course and I knew after finishing Leadville in 2017 that I could do that if I was smart um and my race needed to look very different from some of the other women that were there and I knew I couldn't start out, you know, with some of the winners, previous winners of that race or some of the speedy gals that I knew that were running. Um, I knew I needed to do my thing um, and have respect for my body and what it could do. And I ended up, you know, getting second, which was not, it was unexpected, completely unexpected. And it was so exciting. Um, and it just goes to show you, you know, any day that you do some, you do one of these ultras, it could look so different from the previous time you did it. It's, it's truly amazing. Well, Lord, I hope so. Cause, oh, geez. <laughs> um, let, so, I mean, you only lost, like you only got second by like a minute. Oh no, it was an hour. Oh, yeah. okay. I was yeah. just like, wow. She like, oh, yeah, Annie and I down. each other down the boulevard. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, she, so yeah, she ended up beating me by an hour and, uh, I think she came in 21, I guess it would have been 2106 because I came in 2206, but, um, yeah, I, it, it was such a great day. I had so much fun. I ran with some friends. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know my place until I got back to the last aid station, you know, 13 miles to go. I just wanted to beat my previous time and hopefully sub 24 and I knew I put in the work that year and 
I really think that having kids and being a mom is so much harder than running an ultra. So um, I felt like I had the, you know, the, what needed to happen. And I got through the day with a smile on my face most of the time. So yeah, I just was reading an article. I should send it to you, or maybe you saw it from outside online. That was about, um, the top, like the fastest marathoners in the country for women now are actually like most of them have had children and, uh, they got, they set their PRs post children, which I don't think it's like have a baby and then you get fat. It's more. Yeah. I think it's like the depth of training (laughs) that they have, but then also this other experience that's like, Oh, I can hurt more. Truly. And for me, um, you know, I, I lost my mom right after ocean was born like a month after. And then I, so that was a really big thing in my life. Um, learning how to mother without a mother. And then COVID hit with my second child Coco and, you know, being stuck in the house. Cause at the time I had no idea what to do, you know, and, um, with COVID and being pregnant. So I think just you, you really learn as a parent how to be there. You, you know how to show up. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is so needed in ultra. It's so mental. It's so, you can get ready for it as physically as possible, but the mental aspect you're not really prepared for until you practice it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think parenting is such a great practice for that mental um, fortitude. So, yeah, because yeah. it's like there's really no like escape. It's like the only way out is through. <laughs> it's not like I can give this child back, you know, like you just yeah. keep going and you make and you figure it out. That's like another one thing that I really like now, not even in ultra running, but in my regular life. It's like I might not know how to do this in this moment, but I know I can figure it out. Truly. And that is ultra in a nutshell. Like you come through the, you go through these periods of, I can't do this. And my body will not be able to do this to 10 minutes later after eating a bowl of noodles, you know, like, Oh, I got this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You just problem solve throughout the way and figure it out. And that it's, it's really remarkable what your body can do. And it's really remarkable what your mind can do actually. So I know the race was like a year ago, so this might not be exactly fresh, but, um, at any point during the race, like what, like, were there any times where you didn't feel ready or low moments or how did you deal with the altitude? So throughout the summer going towards the race, I, I practiced by going up to Leadville you know, a few times as much as I could just to get my body ready for the altitude. Cause that is such a huge part of that race. Um, you're starting at 10,000 feet and going up and over hope. And, you know, people don't feel great at those altitudes anyway. Um, so running a hundred miles is just, you, you have to prepare for that as much as you can. Um, so I would go up there on the weekends if I could and, you know, sleep up there if I could. Um, but yeah, there are, de- there were definite low moments. I started the race out real slow with my friend CC and we just chit chatted. Like I said, my only goal for that race was to go sub 24 and to feel 
like I pushed it and finish. So I, I didn't have high expectations of myself going in. I mean, that is a high expectation, I guess, but I knew it was doable and approachable. Um, throughout the race, I felt really good. Between miles 20 and 40, I had some pretty low moments and some back pain. And I, you know, from experience, I guess, from DNFing a few times, I knew that like I could either choose to continue and try to get over that feeling or I could stop that is an option and I chose to just continue and I I ended up feeling so much better because the way the the race works is it's so runnable until you get to Hope Pass and then you get a huge hike and that was really helpful for my body like my low back just was really in a lot of pain and I needed to hike so once I got to Twin Lakes and I could start my hike I started feeling better um and then the race didn't really start for me until hope until I turned around um, halfway and went back went over hope. I felt so strong, and I we were just picking people off left and right. My friend Cece and I, and I, you know, I was passing girls that I, I have long admired, and um, it just became clear to me that I was doing well. I was moving faster, and. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I didn't want to know my place. I didn't want to get that into my head. Um, but I, you know, I concentrated on my fueling and continued. Um, so I went from at mile 13, 180th place to 100th place at mile 40. I wrote this down because I cannot remember this. <laughs> um, and then around Pope Pass, we were like 10th place. And then um, at mile 88, I was in second. So yeah, it just goes to show you that if you run your own race, you can do well. And I knew that that's how I had to run that race. But yeah, definite low moments. On the boulevard, after passing my dad's house, you know, it was pretty emotional. I, I was telling Annie Hughes the other day that I wanted to stop there two miles to the finish line. I like really wanted to stop. And it, it just, that you're only two miles away from the finish line, but sometimes like these, your mind just, it gets so tired. It gets so tired of trying that it just wants to quit. Mm -hmm. And I had to force, I had to force myself and my sister, my pacer at the time was like, you just have to finish. It's only like two miles up there. Uh, but my, I just like had to have a moment. I had to just like cry and get it out and then keep going. And honestly, that might've been the lowest moment of the race, <laughs> two miles to go. Yeah. I think it's just like, sometimes like, I mean, not even in ultras, but just like, sometimes it just get you just get tired of fighting, you know, like it's, and I don't know whether this is like just a larger thing that a topic that is, deserves a whole show by itself, but it's, it's like, if you go to work someday where you just are bombarded by either like, uh, either negativity or like people that just accept the way things are, even if they're terrible or they're just always coming at you with something that's just not 
positive or not in line with what you are after a while, it gets so hard to keep fighting it. And Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in like the five people you surround yourself with or who you are. And so make sure that those are people that are going to bring you up. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing in ultras. It's like, after just such a long time of fighting to keep myself going and my body, just your mind is just like, I don't know if we can keep fighting this, Mm -hmm. but you can, and you will if you believe that. And I, I think, you know, growing in the sport as an individual, you, you do learn that in ultra, like you don't, I didn't start out believing that I DNF'd so much and, and sometimes DNFs are okay and respectable, but mm-hmm. I didn't believe that I could do it. Um, and I think that's what switch for me is that, that knowledge that I, can do this. I will do this and, and doing it well. So what's like the single, I guess, biggest thing that you adjusted in your training up for Leadville that you think made a difference, whether it's like practicing your nutrition or longer, long runs or doing strength work, or like, what's just one thing that you're like, yeah, I changed that. And it really made a difference. Really great question. Because when I had tried ultra before, when I finished Leadville in 2017, my training was kind of wishy-washy. I, I didn't have a coach. I didn't, I didn't read a lot about how to train. Um, I just kind of played in the mountains and, you know, got some long runs in here and there with Leadville last year. I was more strategic. Um, I, I really listened to my body. Um, I tried my fueling techniques while I was training. Um, I did, I did long runs, but my coming out of pregnancies, I can't do super long weeks of mileage. I think my longest mileage week that year, last year was 60 miles, which if you look at ultra, ultra runners, like they're doing, some people are doing hundred mile weeks every week. I'm more in your camp. I have to be honest. I'm like 60 years in mine. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, my body doesn't sustain it. And So I had to just really recognize that that's how my body was and that I can still get in some fruitful training and still do well in this race. Um, And I still believe that I still don't do huge miles, mile weeks um, because I can't, number one, I can't recover from them having two kids at home. I get home from my long runs and I'm like immediately a parent and I don't get a nap. I don't get, you know, I, I try, I try so hard, but I, yeah, that, I guess that's the biggest thing. I was just more strategic. I listened to my body. I, you know, it's kind of put my fueling first because that is so important in Malta. I decided what I needed to have to finish this race. Um, and yeah, I went up to the altitude a lot. I think those are, those are the biggest things that I changed. Um, which isn't real specific, but it's what I did. <laughs> now I am, now I am coached, which has been such a wonderful change for me. Um, I having two kids have to decide what to do every day with them. And my decision-making is constant with them. And so it's kind of nice just to put that decision-making for my running to, to somebody else as long as I'm continuously listening to who I am and speaking for myself. 
Mm-hmm. So what's, uh, what's coming up for you in this summer? Um, so this weekend I'm doing a surf series race in Brighton, Utah. Um, it's not something I would normally do, but I'm really excited to try it. Uh, it's, uh, almost seven miles with 3000 feet of gain. So it's real fast, uh, lots of, you know, just straight up, straight down. So it'll be interesting. My goal is to just not get hurt, but have fun. Um, this is all in preparation for run rabbit run in September. Um, and then next weekend I will be doing speed goat 50 K, which is also in preparation for run rabbit run. Um, and so, yeah, some speedier things and yeah, hopefully I'm going to crank out a really good hundred in September. Yeah. Take those opportunities, you know? Sure. Um, well, this has been lovely and I, cause because you have some hundred mile experience, this game is going to be very fun for you to play. We're going to play, um, ideal aid station. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you're coming up to, you know, mile 88 and you need to get to get to the finish line. Um, so what sweet snack is waiting there for you? Oh gosh, no sweet snack. Like <laughs> I want ramen noodles. Uh, well, well, so that's the next question. So you oh, gotta okay. just like, okay, it doesn't need to be mile 88. Just what, what's your favorite sweet snack? Oh, what is my favorite sweet snack? Oh, I'm so bad at sweets. Um, no, I, I, I'm not a sweet person either. This is a hard question for me too. I would say like, if I had to choose a sweet snack, it would be a fruit, like a watermelon or orange. I really don't do well with sweets. Yeah. I think I need to change my strategy. I don't like sweets either. And so, but the gels just go down. So I'm like, whatever. They do. Okay. So I do, I do have uh, spring energy gels. Um, yeah, I, I get through 50 miles with those. And then the rest of the race is usually like real food, Mm -hmm. but I still try to get in some goose where I can yeah. I try not to taste them, just swallow them. <laughs> but do I desire them? No. <laughs> yeah. If you do, you're weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, salty weird. snack. Okay. So ramen noodles for sure. Yeah. So then the next question, hot food, is there a different hot food that you also no. like? Yeah, I would. So ramen noodles and then like salty potatoes. Um, okay. yeah, I do enjoy those like mashed. Yeah. Um, sports drink. Uh, I, I drink tailwind. Um, and I also like gnarly and yeah, tailwind's kind of my Mm go-to. It kind of depends on what the race has, but I try to have my, my, um, my drop bags or my crew have that tailwind ready for me. Um, non-sports drink. Uh, water. (laughs) Coffee. Yes. So good. I remember like I for like a solid 10 drink. miles at Western. I was like, water is so good guys. It is it's so, just good. so good. And ice, yeah. Yes. Ice is good. I bet you had a ton of ice during that. Oh race, yeah. But... Ice everywhere. Yeah. Like I went up a cup yeah. size and <laughs> ice. <laughs> um, piece of gear. Oh, piece of gear. Um, right now I'm wearing my on ultras. Uh, so I guess that gear is the most important. Um, I'm not a gearhead. I, I like, I want to travel to a race as a minimalist, like his too many choices gives mm-hmm. me really anxious. And I just, I just want what I have. 
So do you but think you're going to wear the ultra just one pair for all of Leadville or all of um, Run, Run Rabbit? No, no. I'll probably switch shoes once. Um, that's what I did in Leadville. I switched shoes after Creek Crossing. Um, I think that's, it's nice. It's a nice feel, even, even if it's just all mental. It's yeah. A nice, it's nice. I switched shoes three times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But it was really hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like the on vistas, uh, cloud vistas. Um, those are really nice shoes and yeah, between those two and I really like the flows, but they're not, they're not made for a trail. So, but those would be my go-to shoes. And then a celebrity to meet you at the aid station. So it can't be family. It can't be, they don't need to be alive. They don't need to be a runner, just a celebrity to meet you at the aid station. Give you like, you'd be like, Oh, wow. Oh, I don't know. Um, Dak Shepard. Oh, armchair expert. Oh, that'd <laughs> yes, be so I good. love him. Yeah. I, yeah, I really like him. Yeah. His show is good. I, 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 I'm not a regular subscriber, but like I'll catch an episode every once in a while and I love it. It's good. Yeah. It's a, I, I listen to, he's been a good friend. Not, I don't know him personally, but a good podcast friend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Genevieve, before we go, tell people where they can find you online. Okay. So online I'm on Instagram, Genevieve Harrison. Um, you can find me on Facebook and yeah, you can see me at races and that's about it. And you coach, which we haven't talked about, but I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. Team run, run. Um, I am a coach and I do have limited availability, but I, I enjoy, I really enjoy helping people, you know, build goals and reach them. Mm -hmm. It's very satisfying. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Genevieve. Good luck at Brighton this weekend. Uh, I'll be watching them. Good luck at speed goat. It's going to be fun. Got to fill out that free trail fantasy. Uh, so, uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah. Really nice talking to you. listening to this episode of Voices from the Collective. You can follow me at Gazelli on Instagram and Twitter and the Trails Collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Oh yeah, and if you're in the Ithaca area, drop by the Finger Lakes Running Store and say hello because I love to meet new people. All right guys, I hope your weekend is full of fun races, good times, and maybe some good food too because who doesn't love food? See you out there.